listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist. With over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars, this is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions, of which I have many. Uh, Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listener-submitted emails. I will read the questions and Eric will try to answer them. That's right. How do you like our new podcast room here? We just took up the floors on a whim and put down new floors and it's the greatest. It's pretty nice. Do you think it is affecting the tone of the room? Uh, I don't know. We'll I see if so. it sounds different. We went from carpet to... Uh, some fake wood floors. No, it's real. That's fake. It's peel and stick fake wood, but it looks really nice. Yeah. I cannot believe. It looks surprisingly nice. Anyway, this is not a podcast about floors. This really is a podcast about guitars. Um, I don't have a lot of news. Uh, I do have a few fun things in the shop. I'm doing a refinish on a 54 Fender Telecaster. Wow. Yeah. Somebody stripped the finish off the body, so it needs to be... Yeah, so it needs to be redone and made to look right you know don't you just want to shake people well just shake them it's just so common you know so many people did that way back when yeah but the good news is they didn't mess with the neck oh that's cool yeah so so neck's still original yeah the neck the paint is all original and it's just it just has beautiful wear cool yeah it really i mean it's so awesome so that's going to be nice that's going to be a lot of fun I, I do love doing uh, vintage restorations like that. Anyhow, the other guitar that I'm doing a, a refinish on is a black, uh, well, it's going to be black, 60s Jazzmaster. Cool. The headstock is black, and so the whole guitar used to be black, but somebody, again, somebody stripped all the finish off, some knucklehead. So is it just a stripped body, or yeah. is there paint on it right now? No, it's just stripped. I mean, oh. little remnants of the mm. original paint here and there, but... That's going to be fun. I do enjoy doing those, kind of. I don't. I mean, painting isn't really that enjoyable, but... It's, uh, it's cool to bring back something to its former glory. I do really enjoy that, yeah. I, re- I really do. And, you know, I've had so much practice making fake replica finishes that uh, I'm... You know, I don't want to brag here, but I'm pretty good at making those look right. <laughs> That's going to be nice when those are, all look right and they're back together i mean it'll never be original again right but if we can make it look like it should 
Yeah. It really adds a lot of value to the guitar and, yep. you know, re-ups the, uh, the mojo yep. aspect. Cool. Right? Anyhow. Is that all you got in your shop right now? Yeah, what that's else? all I can think of. Oh. I, 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 I saw this online and I wanted to bring it up just because, you know, it's not really, it's not really tech oriented, like, you know, tool oriented, but it is about guitars and I thought it was interesting. It, this is from ultimateguitar.com. Five tricks for changing your guitar tone without using any pedals. All the electric guitar players, both amateur and professional, are always trying to find their perfect tone. Whether it's distorted or clean sound, they're just tweaking all the time no matter what guitar and amp they are using. It may sound like a cliche, but it is true that most of the tone comes from your hands, so there is no need for busting a bank. Yeah, and so there's five things. I I added a lot to this, so it's half of it's from ultimateguitar.com and half of it is from me but you know i think a lot about this because i don't use any pedals and uh i just plug usually a fender telecaster straight into a a vintage fender tube amp and i get i'm able to get quite a bit of different tones just from a guitar and amp no pet no pedals but to be clear you don't actually own a fender telecaster isn't isn't that correct well i guess that's technically correct okay i just wanted to point that out you have similar guitars but not actually. My main guitar, uh-huh. it's it's kind of the prototype pinup uh-huh. that um, you know I used to I used to uh, uh, I don't want to say work with, but I used to um, help Eric Danheim make his big Tex guitars. Mm. And this is a dozen years ago. Uh, I would do things like the nut and maybe you know do the wiring and the final setup anyway this was one of those guitars that eric danheim and i put together and then uh, over the years i've replaced just about every part on it i've wound the pickups for it the neck is a 80s japanese fender neck and the body is a usa custom uh body so no it's not really a fender and it's not a big tax either in it nor is it a pinup it's just kind of a parts caster but it's my parts caster and it's the guitar that i experimented on a lot when i was kind of developing the pickups that i make and and you know just figuring things out but um it's the guitar that it's the telecaster that i fell in love with a dozen or more years ago and now it's just the one that i play all the time anyhow all of that is neither here nor there. We're talking about something completely different. We're Sorry. talking about five tricks for changing your guitar tone without using any pedals. So, trick number one, drum roll. Picking direction. Yeah. You know, it seems obvious, and it seems kind of uh, like a letdown to hear such a, a a simple thing. But seriously, you know, the direction that you move the pick really does affect this tone and the sound of the guitar the way that you physically manipulate the string with your pick or your finger uh is has a huge effect hmm. picking up you know upstrokes or downstrokes that makes different sound you know whether you use your fingers or picks that makes a difference even what part of your finger you you use or what kind of pick that makes a difference and and what angle you hold the pick that makes a difference wow I mean, these are the little nuances that, you know, there's guitar players that when you hear them, you you say, oh, my God, that's Eric Clapton, or that's... Albert King. Albert King. You know, I can 
tell within a few seconds, oh, that's B.B. King. That's Carlos Santana. Yeah. And uh, these are all the little nuances that guys like that have to get their sound. Anyhow. Number two, where you actually pick on the guitar. Yes. So the more you go towards the bridge, the sound will be brighter. And the more you go the other way towards the neck, it, it has a little bit more mellow sound. Well, doesn't it depend on where the pickups are, too? Yeah, they're usually in between the neck and the bridge. <laughs> so, thanks for that. Number three. <laughs> Using your guitar's volume knob. Yeah, it's true. I mean, subtle little volume knob changes. It affects how your amp distorts. It really affects um, how, you know the tone of the amp and the attack and the overall color of the tone and not to mention obviously you know the actual volume but it's not it's not only volume that changes when you turn it down it seems like it just you know would be a linear change of volume but it's not true uh the attack and the color of your tone change as you turn the volume knob on your guitar down so what does attack this, mean this is especially true well attack uh meaning the um I, the suddenness I, of the it, noise? Isn't it obvious? I don't know. The attack. The uh, the percussive... The first part of the note is the, accus- the percussive attack. Oh, I've never heard that. Well, now you have. Uh, if you're using tube amps of any kind, there's a whole spectrum of dynamics that you'll get by using the, your guitar's volume knob. It, it's, it seems like it's more pronounced with, with tube amps. Hmm. Yeah. Number four. Using your fretting hand in different ways. Yes, the left hand, if you're right-handed. Glissandos, that's not a a word that I normally use. Glissandos and hammer-ons and pull-offs give quite a different effect. And combining these in various licks will help you sound unique and express yourself in different ways. (laughs) Oh, yes, it's true. Number five. Combining any of these techniques. Yeah. Absolutely. So a good guitarist uses subtle picking, plucking, fretting, and strumming techniques combined with dynamics, volume control, and techniques like left-hand vibrato. An accomplished guitarist usually has a recognizable sound that can be achieved on almost any guitar in any reasonable amp. If your tone depends on a specific pedal or amp setting, it's not your tone. That makes sense to me. Ouch. Well, doesn't it make sense? burn. And this I brought to the table, number six. We're doing, we're actually changing five tricks into six tricks. All right. That in itself is a trick. Let's hear it. How you wire your guitar. Oh. You know, just a, just a simple um, wiring mod can have a profound effect on your tone. I use um, out-of-phase settings quite often on my Telecaster and on, I've got a Dan Electro that has an out-of-phase setting in the middle. Um, so things like, you know, out-of-phase switches, uh, you can wire up two single coils to sound like a humbucker. You can do coil taps on on uh, humbucking pickups. You know, there's all different kind of ways to modify your guitar's electronics that will drastically change your tone. So... Nice. There you go. I just thought that was fun. It's not really that tech-oriented, but a little bit. And I thought it was interesting. Yeah. 
relevant to the podcast, anyhow. So, I think we have a call. Shall we take a call? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, Eric. This is Mike from Chicago. I've uh, got hip to the podcast recently and have really been enjoying it. Um, got a question for you. Um, I recently picked up a uh, early 90s Fernandez brand, Japanese-made uh, Telecaster Thinline style guitar. Um and it's really cool. It's got a couple issues that I'm just trying to sort out. Um, it has a bunch of loose pickguard screws, um, which is a problem I've solved before by um, drilling out the pickguard screw hole in the body with a larger bit, like a quarter-inch bit, and then plugging it with a little section of a matching diameter dowel, like a quarter-inch wood dowel, sawing it off flush and re-drilling the hole, and then, um, you know, uh, tightening up the pickguard screws that way. So I'm going to solve that on this guitar, but my question for you is the um, the bridge, actually, you know, it's got the vintage-style ashtray kind of Telecaster bridge. Um, the four screws that mount it to the body, two of those are actually stripped as well. So my question for you is, would you solve that the same way that uh, I just described solving the, um, the pickguard screw hole? Um, I, obviously, I'd probably have to drill a larger hole and use a corresponding larger dowel because the... Um, you know, the screws are larger. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to see what you would, you would do in that case. And if, you know, if you would fix it that way, I can get pine dowels. I can get oak dowels. Are either of those acceptable? Or should I try to get, like, an ash or an alder dowel or something? Um, and then, um, you know, do you just use wood glue? I would imagine wood glue. Or I don't know, a wood glue preferable to hide glue or in that situation or, or what? Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to get your take on uh, how to handle that and how to fix it. And, um how to proceed. So thanks for everything you're doing. I uh, really enjoying listening to the podcast. Take care. Excellent. Thanks, Mike. And thanks for listening. Thanks for calling in. Uh, those are cool guitars. You know, I've, I've owned a few Fernandez guitars over the years and I really enjoyed them. I had a, I had a Fernandez Strat a long time ago. Uh, they're cool. Cool. I think that you're, well, this is just me. But the pickguard screws, I wouldn't drill those out and dowel them um, because it's not, you know, the pickguard being mounted to the guitar isn't like a structural thing like, like the bridge or or the neck bolts are, the neck screws. Um, on a pickguard, if the, if the screws are loose in the hole, usually what I do is just dip a toothpick into hide glue or tight bond and stick it in the hole and then cut it off or snap it off and then once the glue dries then the screw goes in there fine right you know and that's fine because it's not it's just the pit guard mount it's not a structural thing now on your bridge yeah uh i can see doing that the other option is you know a lot of those bridges have really short little screws um, so the the thing you might be able to do is use a longer screw, like the screw that comes with um, strap buttons generally are about the right length. Uh, I'm trying to, I don't know, imagine in my mind, what is it, like an inch and a half screw, something like that? Maybe not that, I don't know, something like that. Mm. Uh, but a lot of those, a lot of those Asian import um, Telecaster style guitars use a pretty short mounting screw for the bridge and they get they can they can get stripped pretty easily especially in ash which is you know a pretty porous wood even though it's a hardwood um so yeah 
you could try a longer screw, but if you want to go and um, drill that out, I would I would do that. You know, quarter inch Dell should do it. I, I don't think you need to go any bigger than that. You don't want it to be so big that it that you can see the dowel from there, under the yeah, yeah behind the bridge. So yeah, an oak dowel would be fine. I wouldn't use pine. Pine's too soft. But yeah, um, any hardwood dowel, quarter inch or so, tight bond or hide glue, and then cut it flush and drill the holes. Cool. That's what I would do. Thanks for the call, man. I appreciate it. And enjoy that. Fernandez, those are cool. Shall we take some questions? Oh, yeah. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hi, Eric. I'm sure you'll get lots of comments on your opinions on pickups. This is a field where guitar players have as many opinions as they have on tube versus transistor amps. Yep. As always, I think you're pretty much spot on with your view. I would only add one minor point. If you think about a simple single coil pickup, like a Tele Bridge pickup or a Strat pickup, even using the very best high quality components, how much can the materials cost and how much time can it take to wind it? I think the price... The prices you charge are completely fair, but there are people offering pickups for two to three times the price you charge. Yeah. For me, this enters voodoo territory. Guys, it's a little bit of enamel, enamel copper wire, bobbins, the same Alnico rods, and a little bit of plastic. What on earth makes this worth $350 a piece? <laughs> Personal story. The only time I've ever swapped pickups was on my trusty old Fender American Standard Stratocaster. After fighting with the stock pickups for years and moaning about their thin sound, I needed to do something. After a bit of experimenting, I ended up with, shame on me, one of the higher-priced GFS sets. Uh, called the Grey Bottom 70s or something similarly ridiculous. These were about $70 a set and sound just like Strat pickups should, at least to my ears. I've stuck with them ever since and never looked back. By the way, the one cool thing that GFS now has is a standardized quick plug system for their, for many of their pickups, so you can swap them out without soldering. It makes it really easy to buy a bunch, try them all out, and just throw out the ones that are crap. <laughs> keep up the good work. Keep sharing your opinions. Love the show. Right on. Thank you. Well, you know, I mean... They they certainly make an affordable pickup, so I I get it that uh, you're not out much if you buy them and you don't like them. But um, for my money, I'll stick with good quality. Yep. Yeah. Anyhow, thanks thanks for the question, Eric. Love your podcast and your knowledge of guitars, but you are wrong about inexpensive <laughs> pickups uh -huh. and GFS pickups. You are 100% right that boutique pickups are far superior to v GFS or any inexpensive pickup, and I personally would never use them. Well, there you go. As a hobbyist guitar repair parts caster builder, I work for free, I have installed over 20 GFS pickups in the last five years. They are a good, cheap alternative for people who can only afford $100 in upgrades. Not everyone has two to $300 to spend on just pickups. They are not great, but usually better than what are in inexpensive guitars. GFS pickups are designed in the USA and built by Alltech for GFS to their specs. Carlos. There you go. Thanks, Carlos. I don't know. What can I say that I haven't said before? 
If you like them, buy them. If you like them, go for it. Uh, I think I honestly do think it's a lateral move. I mean, if you have an Epiphone and you're putting GFS pick, pickups in there, just save up your money. And I mean, it's not that much more to get a set of, you know, whatever Gibsons or whatever, you know, right. throwback or Lawler. It's not that much more. Goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for thanks for the 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 comment, Carlos. Yes, yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Quick follow up on the guy asking what guitar to get for the Cootercaster. He mentioned he was already set on the pickups and wants to get the Lawler Goldfoil and Supro style string through steel guitar pickup. These will set him back more than four hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, I know. Holy cow! Yeah. If I'd consider spending that much on pickups, I'd want the rest of the guitar to be as authentic as possible as well and go for the best components I could find. So definitely not the cheapo knockoff. Yeah. He's got a good point. Yeah, it is a good point. Uh, The only reason to start with a really cheap body could be that both pickups are really non-standard. Especially the lap steel pickup may require some delicate routing or intelligent solution to fit it on top of a pickguard, depending on the guitar. That's true, too. So getting a cheap Strat-style body, try out what solution I want to go with, make any mistakes there, and then do a proper install on a proper guitar afterwards might be a valid approach. My point is, if you're spending close to 500 bucks on pickups, you shouldn't be afraid to spend twice that on the body and the neck. Thanks for keeping up the great work. Axel from Germany. Thanks, Axel. I think that I had recommended a cheap Harmony Strat copy. Yeah. That they made. They made those in the 70s. It's called a H80T. It's a great and, name. Uh, well... I know it sounds like a cheapo knockoff because you can get them for a hundred bucks, but I, mine is, it, it feels like a 70 Strat. I mean, I, I refretted it and made it, made it play nice. That's their weak, their weak part. It really is the fret work. And, uh, I put nice tuners on it, but after refretting it and putting tuners on it, it feels like a vintage Strat to me. I mean, maybe not a 50 Strat, but it feels like a, you know, like a 79 Strat. Cool. I mean, it's pretty cool. I don't know. That's what I've... I've made a number of uh, cooter casters out of those, and uh, I like them because not only uh, are they funky and different, but um, they really are pretty good quality, especially for the money. But, Axel, you have a great point. If you're spending 500 bucks on pickups you probably should spend more than $100 on on the rest of the guitar. Yeah. So, yeah, it, you're absolutely right, and I, I I think that's a great suggestion. You bet. Okay, next. Uh, greetings, Mel and Eric. This is Sean again, but not the Allentown version. I guess you can call me Sean from Alabama Town, if you want to <laughs> stick with a similar naming scheme. I'm stuck down here living in the unbearable summer heat of the South, so poor Sean might work well, too. Oh, poor Sean. That is awful. Uh, anyway, first, just a quick thank you again for the answer to my last question. I appreciate you both as always, and your show is definitely one of my favorites. Thank you. On to my next question. I don't believe that you have touched on this topic specifically in your past shows, but if you have, my sincerest apologies. There has been so much information, I think I need to start taking notes during the show to keep up. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) (laughs) If anybody... Maybe I should take notes before the show. Yeah. 
regarding a painted neck, I have a PRS two, 245 that I really love the build configuration on. It is unique to my strats, tellies, and LPs, so it is one that I grab occasionally to be inspired in a different way. The one huge drawback, however, is the entire guitar is painting, painted with a high-gloss black finish, mm. neck included. I have used sandpaper and or Scotch-Brite to mellow the gloss finish on many other guitars and give the neck a smoother, satiny feel, but is there a way to do that to a high-gloss painted neck without completely changing the visible finish on the guitar? Something that keeps some of the visible gloss so it blends well with the rest of the guitar, but also has a smoother and less sticky feel to it? Hmm. My concern is a high-gloss finish everywhere and then a completely dull and lifeless look once you see the neck. I'm not planning to sell this one, but that might be the case one day, and I don't want to completely ruin the visual aspect of the guitar. Perhaps a light wet sand with a very high grit sandpaper or something similar? I usually trial and error my way through life and figure out things pretty well, but with this particular want, I know I can mess it up all well before I land on one resolution. Thank you both again for everything. The show rocks, and you do both as well. As many say down here, you are good people. Hmm. Take care, Sean from Alabama Town. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I was going to suggest something similar. You could wet sand with maybe um, 600 grit sandpaper, and that will dull the uh, the sheen just a little bit and uh, will probably feel a little better. But the good news is that could be buffed back out to a high gloss. Just with you could do it by hand with, with some good polish or on a buffing wheel, uh, you could actually buff that back out. So, um, yeah, it's reversible, kind of. I mean, you're removing a little bit of finish, so it's not completely, you know, without its risk. But I'm assuming on a high gloss, uh, Paul Reed Smith like that, the finish is probably pretty thick. Yeah. And you would have to wet sand for a long time with 600 grit before you got down to the wood. So. Uh, you know, you could you could dull the finish up just a little bit with some 600 grit sandpaper, and uh, just playing it is going to repolish it. Yeah. You know, after six months, it'll probably be high gloss again if you play very often. When I do this, what I like to do is take two pieces of masking tape and put one on one end of the neck and one on the other and then sand in between the two so that you have a line where the the dull and the gloss meet. There's a line. Right. Uh, and it tends to look a little more professional than just kind of... fade it? Just some... Yeah, you know. Um, I've seen that done on some Eddie Van Halen guitars where they, they there's just a line, you know. So uh, that's what I would do. Use a couple pieces of masking tape to mask off the section that you want to sand, and then wet sand with, you know, something like 600, maybe 800 grit wet sand sandpaper. Cool. Yeah. Should we take a break? Let's do it. We'll take a quick break and be right back after this. Liz here from Emerald City Guitars, located in the heart of historic Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle, Washington. We are one of the world's premier vintage guitar shops, going strong for over 22 years. Specializing in the most rare, the funkiest, and most collectible vintage and pre-owned electric guitars, acoustic guitars, amplifiers, and more. We cater to anyone and everyone, from the guy next door to collectors and famous rock stars. 
Not only do we pay top dollar for used gear, we also offer trade-ins and consignment. We also have in-house repair and offer free appraisals. We have a variety of social media accounts that we post our goods daily. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at EC Guitars. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and see our daily episodes of the featured Guitar Pick of the Day and Reality of Emerald City Guitars shows. Give us a call to chat in person at 206-382-0231 and visit our online store at www.emeraldcityguitars.com. As you may already know, I make custom leather guitar straps. I hand make each strap from start to finish. I start with a hide of some of the finest vegetable tan leather on the market. Each hide is chosen for exceptional quality, color, and grain. If you haven't been to my website lately, you need to check it out. I've got a bunch of new strap designs and colors listed with more on the way. If you don't see the perfect strap, contact me with your custom order idea. Visit malcoleather.com to seek examples of custom orders I've done in the past. If you're a dealer, I offer competitive wholesale pricing. Email malcoleather at gmail.com for details. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Etsy. If you're listening to this, you get 15% off when you enter code FRETFILES at checkout at melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. If you're a fan of the show, it has become obvious to you that I repair and restore guitars. I'm not a hobbyist. This is something I do full-time for a living, and I've done it for almost 25 years. If you have a guitar repair that you need help with, consider sending it to me. I get repairs from all over the country. People send me guitars from far and wide, from Hawaii to Alaska to Florida, and I would love to help you with your guitar. I know a lot of people live in an area where they don't really have a tech or a repair guy that they can trust, or maybe it's a really complicated repair or a really special guitar to you that you don't want to just trust anybody. You can send it to me. I promise you'll be satisfied with the results. I rewind pickups, I restore vintage guitars, I do refrets, broken headstocks, neck resets, you name it, if it's broken on a guitar, I pretty much fix it. So. I'd love to help you out. You can go to my website to read more about me and to see a price chart. Go to ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. And if you need more information, you can contact me through that website by clicking the contact link and send me a message there, and I'll get back to you. Um, So thank you for listening, and now back to the show. Al from Kansas City here, just to follow up on some problems I was having with my ears splitting on high notes. I finally was able to let go of my Mega Boost Mesa Boogie Express. That's an amplifier. Okay. Yeah. And bought a Fender Princeton recording amp. That's I know that one. Yeah. Uh, since I plan on playing almost exclusively at home, it really brings out the nuances of your Strat pickups. I installed a set of your pickups last year. Oh, oh thanks. However, I had no idea what I was doing when I ordered them. All this technical stuff was new to me. So when it comes to new pickups for my 52 reissue, made in 2001, Telecaster, I want to be careful. Do different wines on pickups cut down on the ear piercing? 
Can a telly still sound great without the ear piercing? What wind of your pickups would you recommend? Should I have ordered a different wind from you on my Strat pickups? I got the normal wind. Then there is two questions. First of all, this telly I have gets lots of remarks for how light it is and how loud it is without the amp. Are these two things related? Furthermore, does a guitar that amplifies without an amp mean that the sound is going outward and not being transferred to the pickups? This Telecaster is really fun to play, so I would like to put your pickups in it and keep it. Finally, if I want to make the sound less ear-piercing, harsh, and not sacrifice the bell-like fender tones, are there tubes that you would recommend? I am almost 70, so my hearing is changing, so I would like, so I want to protect it, but I really like playing Buddy Guy. <laughs> right on. Uh, thanks, Al, and thanks for buying some of my pickups. I appreciate that very much. Um, I would not have recommended a different wind. The normal wind is... Uh, my recommendation. So I think you made the right choice there. And uh, uh, I think, you know, from what I'm remembering from uh, our discussions in the past, you were, you were very happy with the way they sounded. So no, I mean, unless you've got a really strong opinion on one way or the other, getting them overwound or underwound, I would definitely recommend the normal wind. So I think you made the right choice there. Um, Can a telly still sound great without the ear-piercing high tones. Well, yeah. So a, a more overwound pickup will have a little less high-end and a little more bass response and a little more mid-range growl. Um, but a telly is still a telly and is still going to sound like a telly. And what people, some people call that ice pick tone... Uh, is kind of what a telly does. So if you don't like the, if you don't like what a telly does, I, I, I'm not really sure, you know, what to recommend to you, um, as far as pickups go. The only thing that comes to mind is maybe using Alnico 2 magnets instead of Alnico 5 magnets. Uh, the Alnico 2 magnets are not quite as powerful and they have a little bit more sweeter tone. Uh, so that's a possibility. Although, to, to my ears, you know, when I compare an Alnico 2 telly to an Alnico 5 telly back-to-back -back th through the same amp, you know, set the, to the same settings, the Alnico 2 pickups just kind of sound a little bit wimpy to me. Hmm. You know, so if you had if you had two guitar players on stage and one had Alnico 2 pickups and the other had Alnico 5, the Alnico 5 telly is going to sound at least to me, it's going to, you know, just flamethrow the the Elnico 2 pickups off the stage. I, to me, they sound a little wimpy. But um, you can raise up the pickup a little bit closer because it's not as, as it doesn't have as strong of a pull as an Elnico 5 pickup does. And, uh, and they are less harsh, for sure. So that's an option. Maybe an overwound Elnico 2 pickup, you know. All right. That, that's an option. Um, his other question here. Uh, he gets lots of remarks for how light his telly is and how loud it is without the amp. Are those related? Yeah. Well, I think that they are. I try to make really light guitars. I use really lightweight ash when I make a guitar. And I think that those things are related because that lightweight swamp ash is so full of air, basically, that it's almost like 
it has acoustic properties. Um, so yeah, I, I think that they are related. The really lightweight Telecasters, to me, sound really loud, unplugged. And I think that those are related. His other question is, does that mean the sound is going outward instead of being transferred to the pickups? And no, I, th- I think quite the opposite is true, actually. I think it helps the guitar have a better tone overall, and the pickups amplify that. Um, because uh, the whole guitar is resonating. I mean, it has a, it has more resonance, and so the pickups are going to hear that, just like your ears do, you know? So, uh, no, I think that, that a lightweight, loud telly is a good thing. Yeah. And he, last, he asks, asks about tubes that you would recommend for less oh, ear-piercing yeah. and harsh. Uh, Al, I, I really don't know what to tell you there, because I'm not a tube... Uh, amp doctor. I'm not. I'm not an amp doctor. So, um, I I just replaced tubes in my amp, and uh, I bought groove tubes. They were they were fine. The JJ tubes get good reviews. There's all there's so many makers now. I, I don't know. A lot of them are Chinese, and the Chinese ones are actually kind of decent. Um, there's Russian and. I don't know, Slovenian and like all kinds of, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm not going to comment any further on that. Cause I already sound like an idiot. I'm, I'm not an, I'm not an amp tech, so I don't know. Ask an amp guru. Cool. Thanks Th- Al. Thanks Al. Hi Eric and Melissa. I am about to replace the nut on a friend's Taylor 100 series dreadnought because the slots have worn down so much that the strings are buzzing at the first fret. I've built some electric guitars and replaced nuts that have fallen off guitars, but I've never removed a nut that is still attached to the guitar. What is the best way to do this? Should I tap it with a small hammer? Apply heat? If I do hit it, do you hit it hit it perpendicular to the fretboard or knock it towards the headstock? Do I make sure I don't chip out an how do I make sure I don't chip out any wood or finish and mess up my friend's guitar? Thanks, Peter Peter in Portland, Maine. Thanks, Peter. Um, the first thing that I do when I'm removing a nut is I take an X-Acto knife and I score all around the nut. Um, because oftentimes, the uh, well, most of the time, there's finish um, overlapping the surfaces. So you want to cut through the finish where the, uh, where the nut meets the headstock, uh, where the nut is exposed in the slot. And um, you want to make sure you score that uh, really, really accurately and nicely. And then once that's scored, um, you can tap it just a little bit uh, just to loosen it up. Uh, you can tap it towards the headstock just a little bit. Just a, Just some gentle little tap action is what you want to do there. This is for an acoustic nut. Right. On on a fender style nut, I don't tap it. Um and then you should be able to take some flush cut nippers, some nice wide flush cut end cut nippers, the kind that you cut frets with. Right. Uh and uh I use them to remove nuts. You can uh grab the whole nut with it and just start gently working it out and pulling it straight up. I pull it straight up and out. That's how I take them out. Cool. Um, and that 
in my experience, seems to be the best way to do it. Sometimes you encounter a stubborn one that just won't come out. And in that case, they have to be basically, you know, I've, I've used, I've had to route some out. What? Yeah. I mean, if you get one that's really stubborn and really like in there, somebody put hide glue on it and glued it in or something. Yeah. Sometimes you get one that's just super. Wow. Impossible to get out. Well, hopefully yours won't be that way, Peter. Gibson Les Paul nuts are a lot of the the modern ones are those are not fun to get out. They're welded on. Yeah, they're a little bit stuck in there. Anyway, that's my recommendation. Thanks, Peter. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I'm a part-time guitar tech in Ontario, Canada. I've just finished listening to all 60 episodes from start to finish over the last two months. Wow. I've been writing down questions to ask and waiting until I caught up. This question is regarding shop ergonomics. Most of my shop work is setups and minor repairs and modifications. When I started working on guitars, I did all my work at my kitchen table. I would have to sit and do all the work hunched over the table. When I finally got the opportunity to dedicate a room to guitar work, the first thing I did was was design a standing height workbench. I'm curious what you do. Looking forward to your response. Thanks, Jason Manns, J-Manns Guitars, Beamsville, Ontario, Canada. Cool, Jason. Yeah, I do something similar. I've got a standing bench that has a tall chair so I can sit if I want. I've got all my tools right there within arm's reach, or at least the ones that I use really on a, you know, uh on a typical repair, so like nut files and um, Allen wrenches and screwdrivers, you know, all the all of your typical stuff is real close by. Um, whatever I'm doing, I don't think it's enough because, my God, my shoulder hurts <laughs> just all the time. I have chronic pain, you know, in my hand and in my shoulders. I have back pain uh, bad enough that it's it's hard for me to sleep most days. So, my point is um, that... You're, you're a pro on ergonomics. Well, I'm not, and I think that our... Uh, well, and did he say that he's a... Uh, uh, no, he's a pro, he's he's doing this for a living. He's a professional. He's a part-time um, guitar tech, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, when you're doing it um, eight hours a day, like I often do, sometimes ten hours a day... Uh, it's really not that conducive to ergonomics. I, I don't know how else to, I don't know how to file, I don't know how to do a fret job ergonomically. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's such a taxing physical thing. And it, I mean, it's not like weightlifting, you know, it's not, it's not difficult. It's just. It's repetitive motion. It's repetitive. And um, what I try to do is take a break and stretch and put my arms behind my back and clasp my hands together behind my back and stretch out my my back and my arms and my shoulders. Right. I put my arms above my head and stretch out. Um, you know, so I try to take a little break and, and stretch when I'm doing a taxing thing like a fret level <clears throat> where you're just sitting and filing and filing and filing and filing with repetitive motion, you know. 
But yeah, ergonomics, man, it's definitely something to think about. I've got a uh, one of those foam mats that I stand on. Yeah. And that helps. I've, I try to wear the most comfortable shoes that I can in the shop. Which are typically cowboy boots. I was just gonna. I wasn't. Well, they're most. They're the most comfortable. Oh, for you maybe. Yeah. I wear cowboy boots, and my feet are killing me. See, I wear anything else, and my feet kill me. You're a freak. <laughs> well, I've been wearing boots since I was a child, so that's just what my. <laughs> I'm just. just well, that's just what my feet fit into. That's what your feet like. Yeah. Uh, then I have my pickup winding station, which is, um, that's a normal countertop height. Yeah, it's kind of a normal countertop height, but I'm typically not hunched over that all day. And that's, but you're sitting in front of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sitting in front of that. I've got a standing, uh, dust collection workbench where I do sanding and routing. Um, and and then another floor mat in front of that. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely something that I think about because, again, like I said, I've I've chronic pain from doing this for almost twenty five years, and uh, it's not only the ergonomics of things will catch up with you. It really will. It'll catch up with you. The other thing that'll catch up with you is not wearing like a dust mask when you're sanding, you know? So I wear a dust mask for, <clears throat> for everything. If I, if I'm buffing a guitar or doing any sanding or anything like that. So yeah. Yeah. yeah it's something I think a lot about. And, um, it's, Oh, it, you know what we should do is have an ergonomics specialist. That would be awesome. Who also works on guitars. <laughs> that- there is one. I guarantee there's somebody in the world. All right. If you, <laughs> listener, are an ergonomics expert and also repair guitars yeah. professionally or as a hobby, it's not likely. Please get into contact with us and uh, yeah. be in touch. Or here's an idea: just send in your ergonomic ideas, all you fellow luthiers. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a better idea. Thanks, Jason. Greetings, Eric and Melissa. Listeners of the podcast will already know that while you don't make Telecasters or Stratocasters... Only only Fender does that. That's right. You do make very high-quality guitars inspired by vintage electrics of the aforementioned types with an incredible eye for detail. Oh, thank you. I like this guy. Yeah. My question is, do you know of anybody like yourself but is inspired by early Gibsons? That is, do you know of any uh, guitar scientist... (laughs) <laughs> who makes obsessively true-to-era custom guitars, but in the mold of early Les Pauls. Thanks again for the great podcast, Isaac. Thanks, Isaac. That's a good name. That's, that's my, our boy's that's name. That's my son's name. That, Eric's son's name, not our son's, obviously. Uh, it's our son's name. I'm so sorry. Uh, I've been asked this question a few times recently. There's a guy that Rock and Roll Relics is a company down in, I think they're in San Francisco, and they make a lot of Gibson-style, vintage-style Gibson-style uh, guitars. Nobody else really comes to mind, although I've, you know, the historic uh, and custom shop Gibsons are, I think they're they're pretty good. 
but as far as a like a boutique builder, I don't know. Nobody comes to mind. I don't. I don't know. I'm sure there's a. I'm sure there's a bunch of them, but I'm not really a. I mean, I'm. I'm more of a Fender centric player. I, I bet there's three or four listening right now. So I don't seek them out, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I, and uh, none that come to mind off the, off the tip of my tongue, other than rock and roll relics. <clears throat> they make good stuff. I've seen their stuff. Cool. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Cool. All right. Thanks, Isaac. Thank you. Eric, this is just one more support for you to make some restringing videos, especially ah. in my case, acoustic guitars, one of my least favorite and relatively stressful cho- chores. How do you make it easy? Thanks, Peter in England. I guess I have some videos to make. Yeah, we got to get a camera. Can you help me do that? You want to help me make some restringing videos? I'd love to. Yeah. That sounds great. Uh, we'll, get on, we'll get on that soon, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Hope the family is well, and I hope you're enjoying the Northern Hemisphere summer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Eric, how would you set up a 12-string acoustic with heavy gauge strings turned way down? Or tuned way down. Any special tricks or things to consider? Jim from the sunny coast of Australia. P.S. Re Mel's Australia fascination. <laughs> yes, lots of snakes, but you don't really see them that often. A big python that lives in the backyard did eat two of my fully grown chickens, oh though. Oh, God. You know, I don't know if this is better, though. There is lots of snakes, but you don't really see them. Yeah. Is that better? I, I'd rather know where they are. And he says he has a big python that lives in his backyard, and I have a problem with that. Well, yeah. Although a python, to me, I mean, I don't want to mess with a python, but at least it's not a rattlesnake. We get rattlesnakes here, and they're scary, man. Well, That'll yeah, kill but you. It, it ate a fully grown chicken. Well, but it can't eat a fully grown Melissa. Well, I can't even uh, eat a fully grown chicken. I mean, that's pretty That's yeah. pretty impressive. Uh, but it is an epic place, though. The water is still 22 degrees C now in winter. And if I had any idea what that was in Fahrenheit, I'm sure yeah. I would be impressed. I'm sure that's very... It's very cold nice or warm. Or, or cold. Or maybe it's hot. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> PPS, standing invitation if you ever get over here to check it out. We'd love to have you. Jim. There you go. Good news, Jim. We've already booked our flights. Yeah. Uh, you can so expect us next week... Fire up the Barbie and buy some Fosters, because here we come. Yep. And we just booked a flight to Australia. Uh, yeah. No particular city, because we don't know where you are, but it's I'm no. sure it's a small place, right? Yeah, it's an island. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere off the coast of New Zealand. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Uh you say, you say, how would you set up a 12-string acoustic with heavy gauge strings tuned way down? Well... The tension of heavy strings tuned way down is similar to, you know, standard gauge tuned to pitch. So, you know, depending on your tuning, depending on the strings, the only thing really to consider is adjusting the truss rod to match the tension of the strings and making sure that the heavy strings fit in the nut slots. So you may have to widen out the nut slots to accept the heavier strings. And the only way to do that really is with... um nut files, you know, the the uh, specifically made tools for uh, filing nut slots. That's probably the biggest things to consider is making sure your neck is straight and getting the uh, nut slots dialed in for the heavy gauge. Cool. Yeah. 
Uh, well, thanks, Jim, and thanks for the invitation. And, you know, maybe someday. Yeah. I'd like to go to Australia. I would, too. If it weren't for the 24-hour flight, we'd already have been there. You know what's nice about Australia? They speak English, or at least a close approximation of it. <clears throat> so yeah, you could actually communicate with people. It's hard to go to countries where you don't speak the language, for sure. Yeah, I'm because I, I would like to go to Italy. My I have, you know, yeah. roots in Italy. Yeah, I have roots in Germany, but I just... It does scare me to travel to a place where they don't speak the language. You know, where I don't speak their language. Right. However, you know, these are pretty safe countries. Italy, Germany, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's all good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, someday. Yeah, I would like to go to Australia. And New Zealand. And we do have, you know, I think a good half of our listeners seem to be in Australia. So. Yeah, so we could just house <laughs> hop. Just, just yeah. crash on your floors. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, hi, Eric and Mel. As always, enjoying the show and hoping that this isn't a dumb question. I recently swapped pickups in a T-style guitar, and when I was installing the bridge pickup, the bottom plate of the pickup separated from the main bobbin. Mm -hmm. It appears the plate got a little bent as well. I reattached it by warming the plate with a soldering iron to heat up the wax on the bottom, but once I got it reinstalled, the pickup seems, seems much more microphonic than it should be. I'm wondering if the plate being ever so slightly bent is affecting this, or do I need to add a bit more wax between the plate and the bobbin to make a tighter seal? Again, I hope this isn't a completely bonehead question, and as always, thanks for all you do. This podcast really is an endless source of knowledge for me. Kurt from Seattle. Right on. Thank you, Kurt, and thanks for listening. Um, it's not a bonehead question. It's a great question. It's only a bonehead question if I know the answer. <laughs> that's not true. You know more about guitars than a lot of guitar players. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, so that sounds about right to me, because when you loosen up that bass plate from a Telecaster pickup, it becomes microphonic. Now, I kind of like that. And I know a lot of you are saying, what? That's insane. Um, I kind of like that. It if If it's... If it's just right, if it's too loose, <laughs> it's a delicate thing. If it's too loose, then uh, it will just squeal with with high-pitched feedback. But, um, yeah, it needs to be flat. It, it needs to fit the, the bottom of the pickup. So you might need to take that off and tap it out flat, hammer it out flat. And then uh, heating up the wax, you, yeah, you might have to add more wax too. But yeah, it will it will make a Telecaster pickup feedback if that if that base plate is loose. Um, but you know, I've worked on so many fifties tellies that have this have the same problem, and uh, they kind of have. It, it almost turns that pickup into a little bit of a microphone. So what happens is the guitar is actually amplifying the acoustic properties of the guitar as as well as the electrical properties of the pickup. So it's kind of, I kind of like that. I kind of like it on, on old tellies when the bass plate is a little bit loose. To me, I think it sounds great. It makes the whole, makes the whole guitar like alive, you know? Wow. Yeah, I like it. 
I actually like it, and I don't use high gain, so it doesn't it doesn't bother me. I don't use enough gain to make it squeal ever. But if it's loose enough that it's squealing, there's really no way around it. You need to re-wax it. Yeah. Thanks, Kurt. It, does it matter that it's bent? Does he need to bend it back? I would. I would make sure it's straight. Yeah, you need to straighten that out. Mm. All right. Thanks, Kurt. Eric, I hope... I notice I'm not mentioned. Eric. And Melissa. I hope all is well in Idaho Falls. I'm enjoying the podcast as usual. I have a question about a guitar I recently bought. It has one of those Gibson-type custom-made placards stuck on it for some own, and for some unknown reason I am going to remove it. The guitar has a lacquer finish, and the placard appears to be affixed with some kind of double-stick adhesive. I am planning on using a hair dryer, not a heat gun, to warm it up and carefully work it off, unless you have another idea or a better, better method. If you have any do's or don'ts to accomplish this without damaging the finish, I would love to know. Thanks again, and you are sorely missed here in Seattle. Please say hello to Melissa. I'm right here. There you go. And I hope your boys are doing well. Zach. Thanks, Zach. Um, Yeah, so I talked to Zach a little bit, and he sent me a picture of the guitar. It's like a a Gretsch with a custom-made placard between the bridge and the Bigsby. And on a lot of on, on old Gibsons where they put that on there, uh, I think they put those on there to cover up the the holes for the uh, for the wraparound tailpiece, not the wraparound, but the for the stop bar tailpiece. So if you take that off and there's some holes under there, you know that's a problem. But I looked at the picture he sent me and. There's no way there's holes under that because it's right next to the bridge. Just right next to the bridge. So, I think you're in the clear. There's probably nothing under that. And the way I would take that off is with a little bit of naphtha or Uh or ronsonol. Lighter fluid, you know. It works. That stuff works wonders for removing adhesive. It really does. It just neutralizes the stickum. Of adhesive. I want some scientist to do a report on why that works, to, to, to figure out at a microscopic level, what is that lighter fluid doing to that adhesive to make it? I mean, what happens there? Can you tell me? Do you know? I cannot. Okay. I do not know. But I do know that naphtha works wonders for releasing the adhesion, the adhesion of that uh, really strong double-sided tape. And it's very good at removing the residue. So once you get it off, you can put some on a paper towel or a or a cotton rag or something, and rub the residue off a little bit. So, um, yeah, that's what I would do. Uh, you shouldn't need to heat it up, but that might help a little bit. You just don't want to go crazy. Cool. Thanks, Zach. Hello, Eric and Mel. I was wondering if you had any suggestions for setting up a spray booth for spraying nitro. Do you have a booth separate from your shop or just a designated spot in the shop for spraying? Thanks, Zach in Ohio. Thanks, Zach. I do have a booth that I made. It's a, just a separate room with um, special filters that filter out the uh, the overspray. And um, so there's, there's, there's a fan that pushes air out. And there's filters before the fan. And then on the other end of the room, there are two inlets 
that let air into the booth, and they have filters on them to keep out any dust. So it's really just a little room with a with an exhaust system. It's like a probably 12 by 10. Does that sound right? Yeah, it's just a little room with a pretty good exhaust system that, yeah. I, that I built and installed. And it's pretty airtight, too. It's pretty airtight. Yeah, I can, you know, it's with the fan on, it's like hard to shut the door because there's so much air getting right. sucked out. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> they make special explosion-proof fans. Yes. Which is something to consider, you know, and that's what I put in because uh, an electric fan motor occasionally will arc and spark, yeah. you know, and... Lacquer, nitro, overspray, paint, overspray is flammable. So, so possibly could flammable, explode. Flammable fumes and an electric sparking motor <clears throat> could mean explosion. So you want to use an explosion-proof fan. I got mine on Amazon. And, uh, yeah, I, got, I went down to the uh, Habitat for Humanity store and bought a bunch of ducting and and made my own little spray booth. And it works really well. <clears throat> so, you know, your mileage may vary. I watched a whole bunch of different YouTube videos um, about how to make a spray booth. The big deal is uh, getting rid-, rid of the fumes, and they do make special filters that that neutralize the odors and the fumes pretty well. So uh, look into that. But, <clears throat> yeah. That's how it's done. Cool. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. And thanks for listening. How do you like the show? What do you think? I think it's pretty good. Well, you you host it, so. <laughs> I don't listen to it, but I think it's pretty good. You do too. <laughs> if you like the show, tell a friend. Tell your mom. Tell, tell your, my mom. Tell your dad. Share it on Facebook. Whatever, Instagram, social media, whatever. If you have a moment, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. It does help us reach more people. And I noticed a lot of you have done that, and I I really appreciate it. Participate. You can do so by going to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do so is to call or text 757-774-8482. You can send in your question or voicemail there, and I'll use that as part of the show. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Good night. Good night.